8 to 10 p.m. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. The Viewpoint with Ashraf Garda. Okay, I've got on my cans. We've got one hour now with our big hitter. That's uh, Professor Adam Habib, the Vice Chancellor at uh, Wits University. So we'll spend an hour with him. You can engage on air 0891-104207. We're back in the normal studio, unlike yesterday. You can uh, SMS me 40938. If you're tweeting, it's hashtag, um, well, SFM Viewpoint firstly. Then tag me, Ashraf Garda. Tag SFM Radio. Tag Adam Habib. Add Hab, if I've got it right. A-D- A-D-H-A-B-B Yeah, that's right Okay, got that You'll certainly pick it up On our timeline as well And great if you add add your own comments as well Oh, I have one other thing Voice notes WhatsApp voice notes 0614-104-107 But if you do that uh, You need to assist with a maximum uh, 30 uh, 30 seconds, please So, Professor Adam Habib Good chatting to you And um, thanks for agreeing to be our big hitter Well, thanks for having me And and it's been a fascinating year But let, let me start with With where you are In terms of the university Uh a year or two years ago, the height of fees must fall. Uh, there was a sense that that this this leftist, or, uh, which is Adam Habib, uh, is on his way out because it appears to many people that that your reputation was very besmirched, mainly on the point that that you had made almost very rightist decisions that that were not in sync with the type of student you would have been uh, as well, right? And then, of course, you got your contract extended, right? Where, where do you see yourself, you know, now on reflection? Um, with with that period, so I mean, you know, if you ask me, mm. uh, would I do ma- many things differently on the big issues? To be honest, I will do decisions very similar. Let's be blunt. Mm. Yeah, the yeah. big controversial decision in 2016 is we call the police. Yeah, and if you ask me, Adam, did you do the right decision? And my answer is. Given the circumstances, I did the right decision. My responsibility is to an institution. It's to the vast majority of students, and it's to finish the academic year. When the university is held hostage by political forces for other ends, then hard decisions are required. And if you don't want to make hard decisions, don't take the job. What what do you think would have happened if you did not call the police? We wouldn't have finished the year. We wouldn't have finished the year, and I would have betrayed the, my mandate to 80% of our students who wanted to complete the year. And the people who would have desperately, uh, uh, the people who would have really suffered is the poorest of the poor. Because the middle classes and the rich would have made a plan, but the poorest of the poor wouldn't. And my responsibility is effectively to those individuals. Okay. I've just finished a book on this, by the way. Your, your book? My book on fees must fall, which tells the whole story. What happened with Jacob Zuma and the government? What happened with the students? What happened effectively with other academics? And frankly, I know some people don't like hearing it, mm-hmm. but I want to be honest. And, and what is that book called? Uh, you know, my wife had a lovely title. Okay. She had the title "At My Wits End." Okay, uh, but <laughs> nobody, bo- the publishers didn't go with it. Really? Okay. Uh, so effectively, what we've decided to call it, uh, again, her choice, uh, "Rebels and Rage." Okay. And, uh, and and for me, the big question about this is: we live in a very, very dangerous world with the forces of the right, uh, with et- uh, kind of ethnic identities, populism in the extreme. 
We're seeing this in Germany. We're seeing this in France. We're seeing this in, in the UK. We're seeing this in North America. We're seeing it in India. And that has its manifestations in South Africa. And activists, particularly those who are progressive, must engage in a thoughtful engagement. If we make the mistakes that the left made in the 1920s, look at what happened in the 1930s. The world went to war. And frankly, in part the reason the world went to war is because progressives in the 1920s didn't engage thoughtfully and didn't engage okay. with strategy. We'll, we'll certainly pick up on the South African context uh, regarding that, but just staying with, with the Fitz student thing. So, so the book will be launched when? So the book is coming out in the 1st of March. Right. And effectively, it is a story about, firstly, it's a story of what happened. So it's a biography of events, if mm -hmm. you like. Uh, having said that, and it speaks about the night in the concourse, the following week, the negotiations with the president, the 2016, how did it emerge, the insourcing, what worked, the lessons okay. we learned. It speaks about Dikhan Moseneke's initiative that we did in early 2017, why it failed. And then it ends with two chapters. One chapter on how would you refinance the system? How do you achieve and enable education across the class boundaries so, solving the problem yeah so how would okay. you fix this why, why, why do you feel why do you feel there's a need for you to tell that story well i think that there's three uh, three reasons to tell that story one is i think that there's a need to just get the frick, the facts straight there was a lot of manufactured news mm -hmm. and frankly i suspect that there was too much romanticization too many people like yourself Mm -hmm. kind of looked at that period and said, ah, we were activists in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. These are our children doing it again. And they came with it with a level of romanticism. And I want to tell them the hidden story. What really happened? What are the trade-offs? What were the consequences if we didn't pay? Remember, there was a billion rand worth of infrastructure burnt. Not a single person has been arrested for burning the infrastructure. Somebody got arrested for attacking policemen in Durban and somebody got arrested. Mm. But for burning a billion rand of infrastructure, nobody's yeah, arrested. So why, why are they not being arrested? And I think that, that it's about the quality of our policing. It's more importantly the quality of our prosecutorial services. I can tell you things about my engagements with Sean Abrams in that period. Okay. Uh, my engagements with the, with the presidency, all kinds of things. So that's the one part of the story. The second is how to solve the problem, the finance question. And then a third and final essay is how do progressives behave if they're interested in social justice? So I'm learning the lessons of fees must fall. And I say, if you believe you're a progressive, in this world, if you want to achieve progressive goals like social justice, this is the lessons from fees must fall. Now, I accept that I come from this, from a particular perspective mm -hmm. as the vice chancellor. But how many CEOs or vice chancellors you know have gone through a struggle and say, I'm still committed to progressive outcomes. And here's the lessons from the opposite side that you need to bear in mind. So it will become a manual or a textbook if, if, for, for if the people future. who are interested in well, social justice. More, more to come from Professor Adam Habib, the Vice Chancellor of uh, the University of Advances Rand. 0891104207. As always, two, three calls we're happy to take in certain blocks. So if you have a view and a question you want to ask around a range of issues around not just bits, clearly, politics of our country, the issues of the right wing and the left wing, and, uh, and a whole range more around leadership of the country. Absolutely welcome. You said you can give us your viewpoint.
Afternoon Express is your premium weekday lifestyle show only on SABC3. Tune in all through the holiday season for your daily dose of lifestyle entertainment. Every Monday, we bring you some of the most inspirational people to keep you motivated. Join the Tuesday cook-along to get tips on how to prepare flavorful dishes for your whole family. Whether you're spending your holidays at home, at work or outdoors, we will provide you with all your leisure needs suitable for everyone. Weekdays from 4.30 to 5.30, only on 3. In a world where the noises of disruption are getting louder, your survival and relevance will require agility. Mancosa, Southern Africa's leading private higher educational institution, has empowered thousands of alumni for over 23 years by providing quality and affordable education. Register now and remain relevant. Mancosa is a proud member of Honoris United Universities. Dream it, we'll take you there. SMS Mancosa and your email address to 34745. Each SMS costs 1,950. Free SMSs do not apply. Hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. Adam Habib, Professor Adam Habib, with us, Vice Chancellor of Vich University. Can, can I then say that the, the critics will say you've, you're putting out this book in March uh, essentially because you need good PR. You, that, that by and large, never mind what you may have said earlier on, you've, you've, you've come across certainly to, to, the, to the student movements as, as a guy who's, who's like sold them. So you needed to. You need to do some good PR and, and, and reputation management, and the book will, certainly coming from your perspective, uh, will, will do that. Well, it's meant to tell my story. I'm not denying that. But if you disagree, then engage me. And I would love to engage to say, let's debate political strategy. I still want to know, and I've said this before and I say this in the book, if you are committed to free education, how dare you build, burn a billion rand worth of infrastructure? That's not what the left did. Even at the height of the 1980s, we preserved the educational infrastructure, however deficient it was, because we were advancing this. In the 1985, when young students went out and said, liberation before education, it was progressives who stood up, Neville Alexander in particular, Mm -hmm. who stood up and said, that's a counter-revolutionary slogan that we actually are going to advance a slogan that says education for liberation. What was happening in 2016? Students were advancing uh, no, no education, no free education, no education at all. I ex- tell me under which conditions, in the kind of contextual challenges we have in our country, was that legitimate? Okay, let's let just stay with, with the issue of the security, then we'll move on, right? So I've heard your story initially. Um, I've spoken to many students. Of course, I've got two two children at at your university, but but besides them, and and the general narrative is like how how dare he he allow uh, private security to come on campus, and that's the day Adam Habib sold the course. H- how do you feel about the fact that there are sufficient numbers of people who believe just that? So I I it saddens me that sufficient numbers of people, and I'll tell you why it saddens me is because it tells me that they don't understand how to engage in progressive struggle. More importantly, it frightens me because they're setting themselves up for failure in future progressive struggle. You know, I, there's a, the book covers this. Social movements become violent under two conditions. Mm-hmm. The introduction of police and when they become politically factionalized. The violence, I can give you date and time. The police didn't come when... Uh, to introduce the violence. They came when the violence had already begun. 
And I can give you the dates, times, because I was monitoring it. And the trick is the movement had become politically factional. When it factionalized, it became violent. And when it became violent, it became particularly populist. It began to advance right-wing slogans. Mm -hmm. And it began to start saying as, I'm sorry to use the word, fuck white people, kill white people. That is unacceptable. It goes against the grain of the non-racial tradition of the liberation movement in this country. So so having said that, and and yes, again, having children at the varsity, I was privy to the fact that there's more than one group. And, And I told this to someone last week that my understanding, it was never a monolith to say, here's the SRC who's running the show. Can, can you confirm that? That at least it was a multi-party. It was entirely down. factionalized. Mm. The movement was entirely factionalized. When we went in 2016, before we brought in the police, I said to the students, and we engaged them through mediators, we said to them, we'll declare support for free education. I'll call a general assembly. We'll get convince the Senate and Council to march to the Constitutional Court. The night before they pulled out. Why? I'll tell you why. Because there was a faction in the movement that was trying to take Jacob Zuma down. And a settlement at Wits University would not have fitted that political plan. And so they were prepared to sacrifice Wits and its education to take Jacob Zuma down two weeks later. Because they saw this as a snowballing dynamic. But would that have been an ANC faction then? No, it was, there were multiple factions. Some within the ANC, some outside from within the EFF, some with, with outside that have nothing to do. They were PASMA, PASMA and other things. There was a political game being played. And the universities had become a political football. And what people were saying to me is that you, you must back off. Here's the thing. When we went to the poll, whether you like it or not, it was, and there were administrative hiccups on it. But 30,000, uh, that SMS went to 30,000 people. Mm. 20,000 or 21,000 vote, uh, voted. 17,000 voted. 79% of students, 92% of staff. That's the majority of students in that. Actually, ironically, in 2016, if I stood for the SRC election, I would have won hands down. Mm. I had more support from the student movement than anybody else. 79%. So, so what do you say to, to those who say, you're talking nonsense? That well, all that was rigged. You, you didn't want, never mind that ideologically, you would, you would have sided with many of the students historically, right? Uh, so you're certainly not a conservative, let's, right? But at that stage... You wanted to put yourself and ensure that you're in power and you make the decisions and therefore you had done whatever it needed to do to make sure that whether votes were rigged or whether things were manipulated, so that was the state. Here's the thing. We had an election. Mm-hmm. It was Sizwe uh, Gobodo, uh, which is an audited mm-hmm. uh, agency. They verified the results. Frankly, anybody who says it's made up, in a world of fake news, put some evidence. You prove that that was this thing. I will resign tomorrow and I'm out of there. If you can prove that I violate, there has never been once in that office where I have violated my oath. I say that as a public The day you catch me out is the day I walk. Because when I came into this position, I came in and I said, I'm coming into a public office. I have a mandate for 20 years, every, ever since I was 18, 
my commitment has been to create an inclusive society. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's going to regard hard decisions. There are sometimes the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Do I think the student movement was making big mistakes? Absolutely. You know, I had students who came, who called for exams to be cancelled. Then they came to my office and said, can we write the examinations quietly in your office okay, so the students wow. don't see me? I've had people on this thing, I'll show you today. I've got a guy who was sitting and saying to me, Habib is a neoliberal. And then they sent me an SMS saying, you're my father, I really love you. Please don't listen to what I'm saying on can television. You us? Can we take pictures of it? Can yeah. we, you can, can we, do that. Can we circulate it? You can do that. I'll show it to you. Right. The striking thing about this is what worried me about what was happening there is a politics has emerged in our society where to be clever politicians, you must say one thing in public and you must say another thing in private. That will destroy our society. You saw state capture. People talk about white monopoly capital and they're selling the state and plundering and looting it. We've seen politicians do that. That has to stop. And frankly, whether you're right, left or mainstream, it's time that we started engaging in politics with a sense of integrity, okay. with a sense well, of honesty. I, I want to talk about the national politics, and I'll get back to Vitz a little bit later on. Oh, wait, 9-1-104-207. Maybe just the last thing on Vitz for now, right? Uh, so as we move on from Fees Must Fall, <coughs> three of the big lessons to learn from, from what happened. What would they be for you? Well, firstly, for all of the things, firstly, I think that part of the crisis of 2015 mm-hmm. was the fact that we were politicians were saying one thing and doing another. So for 20 years, Mm. politicians are saying, we believe in free education. And they were cutting down the subsidy every single year in per capita terms. That forced the universities to increase the fees. And frankly, that was just unsustainable. And so we had the explosion. And I've said that, frankly, we wouldn't have had the change without the student protests. Ironically, so so you support. I said that. I said that students did in 10 days what vice chancellors uh, we're not able to do in 10 years. Having said that, social struggle on its own doesn't translate into an outcome. What the students did in 2016 is they overplayed that. In 2015, they were spot on. In 2016, they became violent. They became racist, uh, or at least factions, not all. And they started not to start understanding trade-offs. Let me tell you the dilemma of a vice chancellor. The students say no fees. But we want more services. Government says limited subsidies. Where are you going to pay for it? Do you want me to do to VETS what has happened to ESCOM? Do you want me to do to VETS what has happened to Transnet? Well, include SABC in it as well, isn't it? Well, that's the problem, right? And so, despite all of the difficulties, VETS is stable financially. Its research output is up 70%. Its postgraduate students are up from 29 to 40 to 37%. We produced the most graduates in our history, 8,500 in 2018. And our transformation is up from 21% black to 49% black academic staff. Tell me that kind of performance anywhere. That's how you judge. A, a, a university succeeding or not. You don't judge a university succeeding whether the vice chancellor's political line is com- uh, the ANC is comfortable with it or the EFF is comfortable with it or the DA is comfortable. You judge a university on its research, 
It's postgraduate students. It's graduation. It's transformation. And it's financial. We'll certainly talk about the research. But okay, here's the last thing. The, the, the one ultimate big lesson to learn from all that happened. The, the fundamental lesson for me is firstly, there are, there are consequences to bad decisions. And if we're going to build our society and its institutions, trade-offs are necessary. If you don't confront trade-offs, then they come with unintended, the decisions come with unintended consequences. That's the great challenge of us. We will never get out of the mess we're in unless we openly talk about the trade-offs and we are willing to say, this historical epoch, I'm going to make this with this consequence and then next year, I'm going to resolve that challenge. Okay. We'll pick up on the issue of traders. Very topical on the on the fifth anniversary of the passing away of Nelson Mandela, of course. Right. Let's get some calls. Oh eight nine one one oh four two oh seven. My guest, Professor Adam Habib, was the vice chancellor at the University of Advances Run. In fact, he's written a book, uh, not the new one that's coming out, Rebels in Rage. That comes out in March. Uh, the other one is called What Suspended Revolution, if I'm not mistaken. Was, and and I may well talk about that too. Colin, you're on the air. Go ahead, hello. Uh, Professor Habib. Hi, how are you doing? Um, fine, thanks. Ashra seems to be doubting you, Professor, but anyway. Thank you. Uh, you know, what, what I watched I watch that whole Fees Must Fall. I watched it every single night. And I could not fathom how youngsters are asking for free education, and it's on the cards, they're negotiating, and they destroyed, as you say, a billion rands of infrastructure. No, the, the libraries where everybody uses, they destroyed and destroyed. And therefore, I'm, I'm saying one thing. There was a, a, another force behind that. Because it took, I watched, the government only condoned that three nights later on SABC3. Now, if that happened anywhere else in the world, soldiers, police would have been, uh, the intelligence would have been there. You mean to tell me this went on, it was planned, and nobody knew about it? Thank you, Ashraf. Okay, got that. Thank you. Thank you for that, Colin. Right, go ahead. So, let you know, I don't think there's a third force here. I'll tell you what happened. I think that this was a spontaneous revolt by students. Clearly, the cost of higher education Mm. had been this thing. We began to price it out, even the middle classes. And so, when the explosion happened, you saw how much of society backed the thing. But because they, they amplified the they reality. They amplified the reality. When that happened, however, what happened, it seems to me, is the political parties decided we want to capture this. And you'll see it. Listen to what happened by Jacob Zuma. Listen to some of the language from the ANC politicians. Then listen to the BBC interview of Julius Malema. This was my people doing it. Each one tried to claim this movement. Mm. It was a spontaneous movement that was across ideological party boundaries. And in a sense, by trying to claim it, they factionalized that movement and they turned it, parts of it, into racist, populist demagoguery and part of it became violent as a result. And in that context, we had to intervene to, 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 to deal with this. You know, in, in CPUT, CPUT Guards of the university were locked in a building and the building burnt. Tell me which progressive can claim that as a progressive act. That is the real challenge that we have to address. Now, I think Fees Must Fall was fantastic in one sense. We will never have had the fundamental shift 
in the financing of higher education without fees, Baswal. And that, in part, comes from the students and their willingness to protest. But what I also say is the attempted burning, the attempted arson, all of that actually was overplaying your hand. And frankly, we can't allow that. Because if we allow that, we will destroy the possibility and, and, and of a I democratic society. And I think most people would, would, would concur with you on that. There's more calls. Eddie, uh, from the free set, go ahead. Eddie, hi. Hi, my brother. How are you? Yeah, very good indeed, right? Your thoughts, your viewpoint? Yeah. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you know, we, the first, first thing first, um, we need to appreciate when people are doing good. And that day, Habib, you are, def- uh, you are definitely doing that. And I want to applaud you for that. And the second point is, um, I agree with you that, you know, the fees must fall. It was, there was no set fault there. Um, but students who were suffering, who uh, their parents were not able to give them money, you know, some of them had to sell. I'm sorry to say this, but that's the reality. Some of them had to sell their bodies so that they can be able to pay for fees. It was a painful environment. And it is still a painful thing for some of the students. If we don't solve these problems, I'm telling you, this another revolution is coming and coming from the students. Okay. And the cut. last point. Yeah. The last point. I just want to ask you, um, how many students, Sisma uh, uh, Four students, are still attending court cases? And I'm, I'm sure there was a plea that you need to intervene uh, in that regard so that. Uh, the, the university becomes stable. But I want, I want to say what I said first, I still maintain, and we want to appreciate what you are doing for this country. Okay, got Thank that. Thank you. you. Thank you for that call, Eddie, uh, from the Free State. Uh, Adam? I think what Eddie is right, by the way, thank you, Eddie, for, that, for those kind remarks. What I will say is Eddie is right. There was real suffering by students who couldn't afford to give, and there was a real problem. Mm. I don't want to undermine that. I've said this publicly a million times. I say it in the book again. And I think he's also right. The problem is not resolved. Because what Jacob Zuma did is he said anybody with 350,000 and below will be Mm. free. And he assumed that that would be 90% of of the students. Actually, it's only 40% of the students in the system. So at WITS, the people who qualify for NISFAS, the full loan, is actually ironically 19%. Okay. So 20%. And you can say another 15% can pay for themselves because they're well off. The 65% below. The vast majority. The vast majority are the missing middle. And frankly, they're too rich for Nisfas and they're too poor to pay. And that's where the dilemma is. And that problem has not been resolved. So so what came out then of, of President Zuma's pronouncements in, on his, in his last days, right, as the president really up from the ANC and the country. You, you, you're not happy with it? Well, I think he's helped the very poorest in the system. And that's true. But that does not resolve the problem. The problem was it was a middle class revolt. It was a revolt of the missing middle. That's why it was Wits, UCT, Stellenbosch, UJ, etc. And their problem has not been resolved. Because the those below the middle class were being covered already. Is that what yes. You're the, the, so the ones, it, look, it was before 122,000, they moved it to 350. But most of the WIT students are between 350 and 700 or 600,000. And they are not covered.
And so the problem remains, and this is what this book is highlighting. It says the problem has not been resolved. Now, you didn't like that plan by the Hair Commission, Mm -hmm. which was an income contingent loan. But you rejected it, but you didn't fix the problem. And that problem has to be resolved. Now, we're all silent about it, but if Doet, Treasury, and the others... Don't come to the party and say, here's a plan to resolve the missing middle. I promise you we will be back, as Eddie says, in two years confronting the same challenge. Okay, I want to move away from Fees Must Fall because there's many other things to talk about. So, in fact, I won't engage on calls on Fees Must Fall for now. There are national issues to talk about, excepting the last one. Uh, many students, uh, the Tebo Lamini comes to mind immediately. Who, who, were, who were arrested and spent time in prison and they then call for, for a, whatever the right word is, call for an amnesty uh, because they didn't know what they were doing. What, what are your thoughts on that? So I wrote publicly on this. So firstly, let me be clear. A number of people have said, why do you still harass Nkaibod Lamini? Why don't you uh, this thing? We haven't charged Nkaibod Lamini. He's not charged by Wits University. Who was charged? He, he's been charged by the police, by the National Prosecution Service. In fact, somebody phoned me the other day and said that they were told that Wits University is holding off. We've written a letter to the prosecutors saying, Wits University has no problem if you enter into settlement. We will not support any deportation. We said this bluntly mm. because we were asked whether we will not be party to any deportation. We think... If you resolve it, well and good, and we have no objections. I have publicly written in the Daily Maverick that the only thing I think is people should not suffer for the rest of their lives because they did something when they were 21 years old. That's not right. I do, however, believe that it really does depend on what you did. And what if you're looking at some form of rehabilitation, of some form of not charging them, there must be some community service. There has to be. You can't say, I burnt down a building and there must be no consequences. Mm-hmm. You can say, okay, we won't put you in jail, but you will go and do community service or you will do something or there'll be, if you did this again, there'll be consequences. But in principle, you're saying you didn't charge them, but whoever charged them, you'd go for, for pardon under the basis of the trade-offs you spoke about earlier on. Right? There has to be some sense that I w- cannot do this again and still claim the same thing. There must be that. But I don't think anybody should suffer for the rest of their lives because they were engaging. In it. I will say one other thing which I don't agree with the students on. A lot of the students said we committed violence, but it was a progressive struggle. I'm sorry. A progressive struggle does not justify violence. You can't say to people, don't do violence, but we can do violence because we progressive. What you can say is, I'm sorry. It will never happen again. And that was a mistake. That, I am prepared to say, is an acknowledgement. And there must be a, and find a settlement. And ha- has that, that hasn't happened. And some of them have, as I understand it. But we haven't been party to this because those engagements, as I understand it, have happened through the Department of Justice to the NPA. Okay. And we were not party to that. All right. Let's, let's move on then to, to, to other issues um, around the national debate. Give me your assessment of where we are as a country. I think we're in very difficult situations. I think at one level, I'm more positive about South Africa today than I was last year. Because I do believe that there has been a change of political leadership. Mm -hmm. And I do think that the change in political leadership 
creates a kind of thoughtful engagement. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a recognition that we need an inclusive democracy. I think that there is a recognition that state capture is unacceptable. And I think that there is a, a, an understanding that corruption has to be rooted out. All of that, I think, is positive. I do think, and I've written about this publicly, that I think Cyril Ramaphosa has did very well in the initial days on how he enabled the departure of Jacob Zuma. But I do think he played land badly. And I think that in the land, he simply allowed the EFF to dominate the narrative. Okay, just just pause. T- tell me why. You say he plain landed badly. So so what did he do and what should he have done? Well, he, this is what the ANC said. The ANC said, we don't believe the Constitution is an obstacle to land reform and to, uh, if you like, expropriation of land. But nevertheless, we're going to change the Constitution. It's kind of completely incoherent. What they did, to be honest, is they saw the EFF campaigning on this. They said, how do we take it out of the 2019 election? Mm-hmm. Let's get this off the agenda and let's uh, make it. I actually think land redistribution has to happen. You cannot say to me that 70, 75% of the land should be in the hands of 8% of the people. It's unacceptable. But what you could have done and said is, and I've engaged on this, I said, and I'm not a land expert by any means, but you could have said, we have 30% of land in state hands. We're going to start and redistribute that. We're then going to go and follow up and speculative land owned by large tracts of land, by mining houses. and that. We're entering into an agreement with them to say, we're going to take surplus land and deploy it for purposes. We're going to enter into the, a debate about customary land, uh, land uh, under customary mm. law. And we're going to say, Actually, what we're going to do with this land is we're going to give tenure rights to people and we're going to allow them to trade on that land for like very much like how it's constructed. So none of that would have got to the emotional level of uh, individuals land being taken away, right? No. And you would have demonstrated that you're both interested in resolving the question, but you're also going to do it in a thoughtful way that allows for the kinds of society you want to build. Okay, now President Ramaphosa has got a brain's trust. Why did they not do that? Well, because I think that on land, they panicked and they decided to act politically in a kind of populist fashion to try and take this out. And that, I think, was a big mistake. I think that that Cyril Ramaphosa did everything actually quite cleverly. I think the corruption, the way he's dealing with uh, cleaning up the the state-owned enterprises, Mm. the the decision on the NPA. I think that there's some, the way he exited Jacobs, all of that was beautifully executed. I think he made a mistake in land and I think he needs to learn from that mistake. And the problem is you, you need to start, if you want to lead, not only must you lead yourself, you must be perceived to lead. The problem is on land, you were not perceived to be leading. What you were seen to be doing is being dragged by the coattails of the EFF. And I think that that's the tragedy. So that's the one side of the equation. I am worried about the forces of the right. You know, everybody thinks Mm, that because mm. you call for nationalization or because you talk about inclusion, you can't be right wing. Frankly, go see the five star movement in Italy. Go see the AFD in Germany. They talk about inclusion. They talk about uh, your universal wage. They talk about uh, uh, greater deficits. They're using left-wing rhetoric, but a right-wing agenda. 
And for me, I have been really utterly worried about what I call uh, in the EFF, Mm -hmm. if you like, a proto-fascist politics emerging. The behavior where you go in and trash a store, Vodacom store, because somebody gave a lecture on a platform that was sponsored by Vodacom is, I think, completely unacceptable. I also think it's unacceptable that the police haven't arrested those individuals. I think it's crazy. What did Vodacom do? Vodacom said, went and cut a deal. You know what it looks they, like? They, it certainly came across. I saw that. I, I saw that I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like Vodacom saying, we can't trust the police to protect us. We've got two options. Either we hire our own thugs or we cut, a, we cut a deal and pay some protection money to the hoodlums that have thrashed us. That's what this is like. It's like a shakedown. This was a political okay. shakedown. 891 104 You want to join in on, on that national issues with Professor Adam Habib, you can certainly do so. What, so the, the EFF story and maybe alleged EFF, they're wearing red overalls. Let's get that right. Yeah, Whether they were enough. members is another story. Uh, there and certainly maybe less occasion of alleged with H&M stores. I think EFF supported that if I stand in a correction on that one. You don't see that as isolated now, isn't it? No, I've been writing about this for a while. I've been saying that there's a real danger. Now, by the way, if it was alleged, then why did Julius Malema and the leadership meet Vodacom and cut a deal? Mm -hmm. If it wasn't their people, they should have said, it's not our guys, arrest them, let's lock them up. That would have been the logical thing to do. Mm -hmm. You don't cut a deal. It comes off as a political checkdown. And I'll tell you what the worry from Cyril Ramaphosa's side is. If you are seen to allow this, basically you're sending the signal that there's no rule of law in our society. That anybody can be taken by a political checkdown. And in that kind of context, what do you do? That's the kind of thing. You want to attract investment. You want to attract inclusion. How the hell are you going to get inclusion and investment if you think, people think that, that you can be politically okay, shaken so down? Having said that, just describe, describe the EFF in, in practice in, in one sentence. And, and Malema, you can do it. So between you and me, and I don't want to personalize it with Julius Malema, I'll describe the EFF. I saw and I've written about this. I've seen the EFF as a proto-fascist movement. I see it as articulating a racist politics, a politics that effectively uh, is a politics of spectacle. The practice of the EFF in its politics reminds me of Trumpian politics. It reminds me of a politics that I see amongst Donald Trump, the kind of far right in Europe, the AFD, etc. It might have a left-wing rhetoric, but so does the five-star movement in Italy. So that's the first concern. The second is I am concerned about the duplicity around VBS, around this idea about cigarette smugglers and and their Mm -hmm. control. You know what? We've just come through 10 years of this problem between Jacob Zuma and the Guptas. What are we doing? Are we not prepared to hold our politicians accountable? All of us, not only the EFF, the EFF, the ANC, the DA. When are South Africans going to be serious about saying that our politicians must begin to live Okay. The very top. I, I want to ask you about the EFF, the, the ANC as well as the DA, but let's get some calls in the meantime to East London. We go. Andila, you're on the air. Hello. Prof, I'm actually concerned about um, the comment that uh, the uh, good professor made today about uh, President Ramaphosa. 
I think he and some of the people like your opposition in the country are wanting to create a dictator out of Cyril Ramaphosa. Cyril Ramaphosa is a democrat. He understands that, uh, you know, he is a ruling and a leading within a collective in the ANC. And the whole question, the narrative around the, the land question, it, it's it's something that started way back, you know, even when um, the year before EFF came into power, I mean, into being, and um, that discussion had already been there, and that had been a discussion that was generated by the Youth League, and which you know, um, when EFF you know came into power, they actually, I mean, they came up, came about, they actually went ran away, uh, ran with that, you know. So it, it, it is not correct to say that Ramaphosa handled the inland question, you know. In okay, but I mean, way. let's agree that it's his opinion. I mean, that's that's the point, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's one yeah, person's opinion. Maybe the opinion wrong. His opinion is actually, you know, not you know uh, informed by what is actually happening within the end. Okay. In fact, in fact we, we, we're going to gonna be talking about land yeah. after nine o'clock. Please call in then. Okay. I want to get your thoughts, Andile. We'll get you to call All in right. again on that. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks for okay. that, Andile. Right, Bernard from Limpopo. Hello. Doing, sir. Yeah. Go ahead. Hello. Yeah. I, I just want to share my views on the discussion. Go ahead. I, I, I think I totally concur with with Prop when he says that. Um, but President Sarah Maposa acted in a way that was not in the interest of South Africans when it comes to the issue of land. I, I think that, you know, the, the, the ANC and Sarah Maposa, you know, acted according to what the EFF wanted them to do. Yes, um, I don't see the reason why um, the EFF should be telling the, the, the ANC as to what to be done because you have the majority in Parliament. So you dictate what happens in Parliament. You, you dictate policy. And so for, for, for the ANC to have voted with, with the EFF on the issue of the land, I think it was it was a flawed, you know, decision by by Sarah Maposa and the ANC. And and as as Pro, as, 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 as Pro put it, it, it is seriously going to affect the economy. In the meantime, there are people who are quite skeptical. If you look at the, the latest stuff, it, it, it shows clearly that agriculture is not contributing to the economy. It is because investors, agricultural investors, are not, you know, really very sure mm-hmm. as to whether this issue of land is, is going to be solved within 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 the short time. And this thing is seriously going to affect the economy. And um, I, I think that it is something, if it is reversible, the, the, the ANC should do something seriously okay. about it. Because in the, in, in the short term, it is going to be very good for, for, for winning political point. But in the, in the long term, it is really going to affect the, the economy. Thank okay, got that. Thank you for that. Let's get another call. Salo from Mokapani. Salo, hello. Hi, Ashraf. Thanks for taking my call. Thank Look, you. On the issue of this, um, I think I'll agree with the previous caller. Because our president is, 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 is not consistent with his utterance in terms of this, uh, on how they are going to resolve this issue. When it's abroad, there's no land without compensation and blah, blah, blah. When he's here, he's speaking another language that I don't understand. And lastly, on the issue, Professor, about the, the investment, hmm. there's been money being looted 10 years back uh, in the term of Jacob Zuma. And by the um, tracing of 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 of, of Vodacom, uh, whereby the uh, EFF and the Vodacom guys sit down, who do you think they? Um, because this thing, when someone responds to someone who said something, we automatically attack the one who responded. 
not the one who started the whole thing. And by the way, I'm not saying those people, they were correct. We must sit down and let's, let's be frank and not just okay. talk to, to power. All right, let's... Not uh, just try to okay. uh, square this thing to EFF only. Okay, Salo, thank I you. But we're going to ask about the ANC and the DA now, so listen out for that. Thank you for the call. Uh, thanks for that, Salo. Uh, response to those, some of the callers, anything you want to pick up on so that? So, the first question on land... I want to make clear, I'm actually committed to land redistribution. Mm. And I'm saying you could have done it without constitutional change. And by the way, your own party admitted it was not necessary. So if something is not necessary, why do it? You're doing it for optics, not for the real thing. I just laid out a way to do land redistribution over a period of time. You can bring a whole series of experts who are far better than I and actually put a real plan on the table. This can be done. The failure of land distribution since 1994 is a failure of political will, not constitutional obstacle. And that's the challenge that the ANC has never resolved. Now, yes, they passed it. And yes, they'll play it. And what they'll do is the EFF and the ANC will start fighting next year because they mean very, very different mm-hmm. things by it. Mm-hmm. But that's how it will play out. And, and on, last thing on, on the political will, why do you think there's been such a lack of political will uh, where we in over 20 years, very well, little. I'll tell you there's three things. Let's be blunt about it. Administrative incompetence. We've got a serious question about administrative capacities in the state, partly because of crude deployment of unqualified individuals. 70%, this is not me, the auditor says, 70% of, of, of finance officers in municipalities can't read a balance sheet. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you expect to stop corruption or manage the, the finances? So that's the first. The second is, frankly, there's too many people who use land redistribution to get themselves, politicians, to get themselves a family home in a rural area while they lived in an urban. Actually, the purpose, it was used for other purposes. It was used for black empowerment schemes. It was used for enrichment schemes. And very little distribution truly happened. Tabo Mbeki wrote this land document. One of the things he says in the land document is 90% of land restitution, land redistribution. And when people are offered land or they're offered money, they've taken money. Mm-hmm. This, that says something about what is at play here. And so, in a sense, these difficult questions coming from within the ANC, from Tabu Mbek himself, the AF doesn't want to deal with it. The ANC doesn't want to deal with it because it's inconvenient. It, it doesn't fit the political optics of the moment. And I think that that's the challenge. Okay. I will talk about the ANC and, and, and just your assessment of that as well as the DA right after this. Cheers to all the boys who walk tall with pride for not lifting their hands on girls whenever they're pressured to. Here's to the men out there who know the meaning of stop and do just that when a girl refuses. Here's to that boy child who continues to thrive to be a better citizen against all societal odds. Here's to instilling positive values to the younger generation and leading by example. Power to rise. 
Brought to you by Love Life. This is an SABC Foundation supported initiative. Watch EFC live this Saturday at Times Square in Medlin. Former champ Ruan Paz takes on the gigantic American Jared Vandera for the heavyweight title. Plus, the electrifying females clash as the Polish assassin Karolina Wojcik and the Italian champ Chiara Penko fight for EFC gold. EFC this Saturday at Times Square, Medlin, Pretoria. Watch it on SABC3. Brought to you by SABC Sport. SAFM, setting the nationwide agenda daily. Daily. So ironically, we will talk about land uh, and, and some changes, as you may have followed in the news, but we'll talk about that with the NCOP adopting land expropriation, the report itself coming up after nine. For now, about seven more minutes to go with Professor Adam Habib, the Vice Chancellor at uh, the University of Advantage. He's our big hitter for the night. Lots of people want to comment. Something's very similar. We'll let that go. Right. Let's talk about, so, okay, ANC, anything you want to pronounce about ANC or government? I, I think that the ANC is completely factionalized. That's not something that I'm saying that is new. Uh, what's clear is unless the plan by clearly Cyril Ramaphosa is let me win the elections, then I'll sort out half of the problems. I think you have to understand the damage that can be created till then. And then I think you're going to have to start dealing with some hard trade-offs. The lesson that I will put to the ANC, not only must you lead, you must be perceived to be leading. If you are going to create the confidence across the cross stakeholders. Do you think that's not happening at the moment? I think it landed didn't happen. I think on other fronts, he's begun to do it. I was watching the attack on Praveen Gordon. It took the ANC over a week before they were heard on it. How is it that your own minister, your own cadre is under attack and none of the political leadership or cabinet ministers are saying anything? What, it's what, like, do you, what do you deduce from that? Again, it's shocking. It's shocking that you'd rather he takes the heat because you don't want to just it. You, if you want to lead, you're going to be seen to have to lead. Why? Because let me turn it around. If, if, if they also agree that he's wrong, then they should charge him too. Then right? they should charge him too. What I would have loved to see in that moment of that racialization, Cyril Ramaphosa stand up, give a state of the nation address on the, bu- on the importance of non-racialism for the liberation movement and for the future of this country. That... If he gave a speech along the lines that Thabo Mbeki did about I am an African, he would have fundamentally changed the future course of this election in 2019. He missed that as an opportunity. Here's where I think they are failing to lead. Okay. Uh, for the DA, I think shop- shockingly opportunistic, to be honest. The DA has been complaining about the EFF. You know, Julius Malema, there's very few times I agree, I agree with him, but today I did. He had a beautiful tweet to Mosi Maimane. And he said, if you don't want to do business with Vodacom, why are you doing business with the EFF? And that highlights the principle of uh, the, la- the lack of principle in the DA's engagement at municipal coalitions. And they paid for that uh, in Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they haven't paid for it here in Pretoria and in Johannesburg is because it's a matter of time. I will say this to them. They've got to start developing a backbone and principle if they really want to engage. The reason the EFF, which is a 6% party, maybe 10, it's far lower than the far right in Western Europe. But the reason they have power in South Africa is because the other parties are so desperate for power 
that they prepared to align with it. And they've given it... I and mean, by aligning them, they're giving them the power. They're giving they're, them the power because they make them the kingmakers. Okay. If they said we're not prepared to play with the EFF, the EFF's resonance, its ability to influence, disappears overnight. All right. the, the other parties, you want to make any comments? The on? only thing that I would say is, I've said this before, I was disappointed with the UDM. The reason is, I think that the UDM, to all of them, have to now start acting on political principle. Too many political parties are saying... For short-term political gain, I'll align with anybody, including the devil. But here's a question. You used the word trade-offs earlier on. So, so aren't they doing that? That is a principle, but then they engage in trade-offs. Yeah, but the trade-offs have to be based on certain fundamental outcomes. If the DA believes in a liberal society, it claims it believes in. In the civil liberties, how do you justify a trade-off? With a movement that you see as proto-fascist and actually undermining democracy. Tell me, Musi Maimane, how do you justify, if you believe in civil liberties and the democratic society, how do you justify the alliance with Julius if you see Julius as fundamentally anti-democratic? Okay. How do you do that? And that applies to many others. All right, quickly, we've got two minutes to go. What's going to happen? In, what will happen in the election? I think that the ANC will win. I think it has an outstanding thing. I 50 think, plus? I think 50 plus. I think that the EFF has overplayed its hand. I think it's alienating even people who potentially last year would have said the crudity of the racism, the VBS scandals, the connections to the kind of cigarette smugglers, all of this is going to turn away decent South Africans. Okay, the, the DA? The DA, I think, has lost a lot of credibility. In, you know, if you had the proper opposition party here, they would have used this opportunity to capitalize. So what would be the proper opposition party then? I think it, a proper opposition party has to be ensconced in the, in, the, in the future South Africa. It must want to build uh, a, a demographically representative society and a society that believes in inclusion. And an inclusion that includes economic inclusion, that is committed to land redistribution, that is committed to the universal wage, that is committed to addressing the inequalities in our society. And that, I think, can be done within the framework of a market economy, but a market economy that's regulated. Okay. We've got 30 seconds. I want to go back to your varsity. There's only 30 seconds I'm going to leave you. Uh, you spoke about research and you were, and you were stellar with, with, with some of the comments you made. Just tell me about how important that is in terms of your varsity, UCT, and m- many of the others, of course, really aiming for the very best in the world. I think that having Africa having its own research-intensive universities is important. In a world of the fourth industrial revolution where you're having digitized technologies, if we don't have our research universities, we will lose, we will forever be victims, we will forever be servants of the rest of the world. Unless we can tell our own stories, we produce our own technologies, we will never be free. And our freedom is tied in part in part to the research universities that exist in our continent, the ones that are like WITS, UCT, UP. So are, we, are we there? I, I think that those universities and institutions are under threat because everybody wants to equalize us and make us the same. We need a differentiated higher education system that does different things, some training, some research, some postgraduate, some vocational. That's how great societies work, by having differentiated post-secondary education okay. systems. Let's end by 30 seconds with the president. Ultimately, he's the man in charge of the entire country. And there are people who are very skeptical and concerned about the country. What, what would you like him to be telling us now? I'd like him to say, I believe in inclusion. 
I'm prepared to lead. I want to be perceived to be leading. And frankly, I'm a committed non, uh, non-racialist. That is what the liberation movement is about. And that's where I'm actually going to be calling out all the racists in our political midst. And that's where it's going to be, Professor Adam Habib. Looking forward to uh, Rebels and Rage when that book gets launched around Feast Must Fall in March. But for now, appreciate your time. And feel free to tweet further thoughts uh, that you quite didn't quite get to today or even amplify even further. Hashtag SFM Viewpoint. Uh, Vice Chancellor of... Uh, Vets University, appreciate your time. Thank you. Right, we'll talk land in a moment. Let's get the news. It's gone now.